0: okay we are alive hi this is william ramsey welcome to william ramsey investigates on today's show i have a very special guest returning guest his name is terry wolf we talked earlier this month about his book fire in the rabbit hole and i saw that he had written a book before that title and we're going to discuss that today full title is maybe everyone is wrong revelations conspiracy in the kingdom of heaven that was published in 2020 has a lot of reviews a lot of people have read it. it has like a 155 star reviews on American Amazon. But it talks about kind of a perplexing, maybe some people are perplexed by it, but by the book of Revelation, uh, the book that was given to John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos, the jail island, the Roman Empire jail island. And uh, you can see Terry Wolf's stuff and material and contact, contact him at his website wolfpox.com, W-O-L-F-P-O-X.com. But again, the book we're going to t- talk about today is Maybe Everyone is Wrong, Revelations, Conspiracy, and the Kingdom of Heaven. So Terry Wolf, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me back. I really enjoyed talking about Fire in the Rabbit Hole last time, uh, to actually be able to get into some of the meat of of that idea, the theory of where we are. and And that book was a follow-up to this one. So this one sort of uh, lays out the big picture of revelation, history, what, what has been happening in the last 2,000 years of Christianity, prophetically speaking, and where we are in it now. And then Fire in the Rabbit Hole is more of a zoom-in focus on just today and what we can look forward to in the near future. Um, and so this is sort of the bigger picture that informs the other book. Right, so this is kind of the
0: baseline of the the other book, the today. But you said your you mentioned in the introduction your position on Revelation, and there's multi positions. We can get into that, but it the Book of Revelation is the most intricately designed puzzle in the history of the world. Why did you say that?
1: Well, because even you know John didn't know what he was writing. Prophecy in general in the Bible is meant to be cryptic it's meant to unfold and only be really understood in hindsight and there's so many ways you can interpret it people have obviously and uh you know when you start looking at very specific choices of wording of terms and then how they're used throughout the book it is like a puzzle like they give you something and then It doesn't tell you what to do with it. And then later on, suddenly you see somewhere else where it might fit. And so people have gone. I mean, If anyone is interested in Revelation, you've probably seen some sort of timeline chart. That's sort of the common thing everyone sees is these timelines. I went and looked at... I didn't want to write a book about Revelation. I really didn't. I wanted to just go. And I figured with the internet, somebody would have... Made a better theory already than the ones I heard growing up before the internet. I'm like, you know, there's a bunch of smart people. This is Revelation, and look at all the crazy things that are happening in society. I'm sure people have improved and used all of the information available on online encyclopedias and all these things, and seeing how it all fits together really hasn't. It's actually very was very disappointing for me to go and do a big deep dive into Revelation, and then I figured, okay, well, what happens? if you start from scratch again and you say i don't assume anybody has this figured out that's why it's called maybe everyone is wrong because it just starts with that idea what if everybody before who did this big study of revelation was missing something and now with the internet you know that's the we have the opportunity now to go back and understand so much so quickly different translations the hebrew the greek Everything we have all of the resources now. Right. And you oh. mentioned just
0: sorry interrupt, but you mentioned some interesting sites that I had never heard of eSword Bible program and Bible Hub. So people can do this as well. They can follow what your conclusions are, what conclusions you reached by going back and looking at the text themselves. So there are yeah. you're right. They're incredible power, powerful programs available to people now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we have the hindsight the, the benefit of hindsight as well to see that a bunch of interpretations can't be true because their predictions didn't come true. Their, their analysis wasn't good enough. They, they missed something. So we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, or I guess you could say we're just have that benefit of hindsight. And so my thinking was we're going into a very mysterious dark time right now. I mean, that's, you don't need to, you know, even believe in the Bible to, to know that and you know how do we make sense of things where are we and one of the things I wanted to try to avoid or, or I should to say prevent I was hoping to prevent is sort of this great discouragement that I feel coming on in Christianity people getting paranoid and you know Especially the questions of the rapture, the antichrist, the mark of the beast. These are some of the biggest topics today. Uh, you know what's going to happen if so and so gets power, and then something kicks off in Israel, and then suddenly you have this cascading effect. And we know that Israel and the third temple and all of these things. I grew up hearing about the differences between sort of the Zionist view, where everything revolves around Israel, and and that's. The main thing we should be concerned about versus sort of this futurist dystopian sci-fi point of view and it's all there in revelation it's it's waiting to be discussed more intelligently i think what i do i have a chapter here called judging interpretations you know i want to make use of the material in a way that i didn't think other people were they were you, you watch those timelines that people put together, the seven-year timeline that everyone loves to do. They're mixing everything around. They're taking the third seal, because the Revelation, for those who don't know, is set up with a book, a prophetic book within the book that it talks about that has seven seals on it. And Jesus breaks one seal at a time, and then a bunch of stuff happens, and then it breaks another seal, and another stuff happens. Eventually you get to seven trumpets and then each trumpet happens in a very specific order. And then finally there's seven bowls or vials that are poured out one at a time. So you can't take a trumpet and put it before a seal or a, you know, there's a very specific order that everything happens and it's like numbered. There's nothing else in the Bible like it. You know, you can go to Daniel or Ezekiel or, isaiah or something and these prophecies are all mixed together right. here in Revelation, i call it, i call
0: it i call it conspiracy smack when they just jumble all of them together and it's like you got i'm already confused like i i actually have a lot of those conversations still like i went through a phase uh, con, uh uh sorry prophecy smack is actually the better word but i go i went through a phase where i tried to figure out the prophecies and stuff i was like it's pretty hard, i went to Daniel.
1: Prophecy conferences, I've been to a bunch of them, which is not what it sounds like. It's not guys pretending to be prophets. It's a conference where people get together and discuss prophecy and try to analyze it. I went to a bunch of those. They're very interesting. You know, some people focus on sort of the uh, prophetic fulfillment of the feasts of the Old Testament and how the, you know, how it's going to be in the future, once Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom or all these nice things. And then there's obviously a very heavy conspiracy theory side of it and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting mix. And I enjoyed being there, but you would just see people sort of spitballing. Okay. So, you know, here, this, this aligns with that. The the second seal happens at the same time as the fifth trumpet. And I'm just like, who gave you permission to do that? Like, if I was going to write a book where, like, let's say this book, there's chapter numbers, you can't just read the last thing and say that this happens before that one. Like, stories happen in order. This Revelation is the only book in the entire, or the only major prophecy in the entire Bible that is so clearly structured. So that was the basis, was saying, I think we can do better I might be wrong. I do not claim that I have the final best interpretation there will ever be. But I think I am far ahead of sort of these traditional views that disrespect the structure of it. They jump all over and often they just try to um, ignore the troublesome parts of it. And whereas I leaned into those parts and be like, that is where we're missing something and it still needs to be fleshed out.
0: And just to let people know, modern Christianity is very much influenced by the book of Revelation. It's influenced by all the different parts of the New Testament and the Old Testament. But this whole notion of tribulation, pre-trib, post-trib, there's been just massive discussions. It's part of pop Christianity, too. So there's a lot that needs to be uh, kind of clarified by this this book so that people can kind of have proper theological positions. Yeah,
1: There's just a moral... I think that there's a moral worldview that is missing once you understand what Revelation is talking about. And prophecy in general, there's Old Testament prophecies that keep overlapping with it all as well, because those prophecies haven't been fulfilled yet either. So we're still waiting for some of those. Like, for example, just, you know, why does it seem, from a Christian point of view, like Satan is winning? And why it seems like we're losing? And why does it seem like you know terrible things are happening if you know your history you know what the persecutions and it's like you can despair at that you can think the god's plan isn't going right or sort of the traditional catholic point of view is that we have to fight harder we have to wage actual wars you need a crusade you need to stand up and fight for christianity in some sort of physical way because we're losing and there's a there's a danger of prophecy not happening there's a danger that god loses in the end if we don't mobilize and vote the right way and you know uh, protect our land from invaders or something like that that's a very traditional sort of uh, catholic orthodox kind of point of view and so also what i wanted to do is address that and say If this is true, then it's Jesus Christ sitting in heaven deciding when this stuff happens and that it has to happen. It's not something we're supposed to despair at. It is actually just a fulfillment of this prophecy, this timeline, and it takes longer than anyone ever thought. Even Jesus Christ himself says that he doesn't know the timing of it all, only the Father knows. And so it's one of the greatest mysteries in the world. And now, at this point, I feel like we're so far along, and I make an argument for why, like, that's what the bulk of the book is, for explaining what has happened already according to this prophecy. The rise of the Roman Catholic Church, the merging of Christianity with the Roman Empire, um, sort of the, the abomination that that creates... Uh, the phases that it went through, all of these things, uh, you know, I could I could get into the details of it, but yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it helps to it helps to frame why history and Christian history seems to be so messed up as well. So uh, let's start with this question of the seven sealed book. You have four seals; those are the four horsemen. Everyone talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We have this idea that there is a final crazy period at the end of history when all hell breaks loose and you have the antichrist shows up and there's a mark of the beast and the four horsemen are unleashed and that's sort of just a big metaphor for war and famine and these types of things we've that's a very pop culture understanding of revelation you know we we think we would recognize when revelation starts happening right that's sort of the basic idea is that like there's yeah.
0: a set time, seven how, years. Boom. Yeah, like, here's this. How could
1: we miss it? You know, if, right. obviously. It'll be it's obvious like, to us. Yeah. Like there's going to
0: be a big sign in the sky. Revelation <laughs> starts now. Bing. like a countdown
1: or something. Yeah. And then start your stopwatches because it's exactly okay. this chart, this timeline that we're going to recognize. And my argument is that that, first of all, it doesn't make sense because deception is going to be a huge part of it. And it wouldn't be so obvious there's like most of the world is supposed to be deceived by the events but then so like for example the first seal talks about a rider coming on a white horse it says that he has power to conquer but it doesn't say anything about waging war particularly um it says that a crown was given to him and so on um uh, it's it's a pretty short verse and then it moves on to the second seal breaking, and you're like, okay, so that clearly that's not a long event. That's not a major event. Well, I, I believe that takes up about you know 400 years <laughs> of history. Um, that's the rise of that's constant. That's Constantine the Great. He is the the one that initiates the the breaking of the seal. He receives a vision from. According to history, mainstream history, he receives a vision in the sky of a big burning cross, and underneath the cross is written, with this sign you will conquer. And so he paints the cross on the Roman shields, and he starts to have more and more victories, military victories. He didn't understand anything about the gospel. He didn't understand anything about Jesus. He just saw this sign. He believed it was a god. He was a pagan, so he accepted that there's many gods that I think he's a wanted.
0: Mithraite, right? Mithraism? Or Mithraism yeah, maybe
1: and so he he already worshipped the sun, and, and so for the idea that he, the idea that a Roman emperor receives a divine vision from God is actually very plausible in the Roman pagan point of view. So he just thinks this isn't a god of the cross, that he's going to start worshipping, and guess what? He starts to see that empirically this is true. He starts to get more victories when he follows this and he uses this sign of the cross everywhere. Well, to the Romans, the sign of the cross is the sign of them being able to execute criminals. It's not a Christian symbol. It's a symbol of murdering people who oppose Rome. And so you have this massive prophetic event happening there where you can just accept it as sort of this Catholic dogma sort of point of view that there's some sort of you know, church fathers, and it all happened very organically, and they try to make it sound like this is, it didn't really start with Constantine, but this is a huge event that changed his life, and it changed all of history, and it establishes, you know, if you fast forward, it establishes the papacy, it establishes Roman clergy as being basically equal to governments, and why is the horse white well the pope always wears white you know it it is the color of the pope and what is his job his job is to be the conqueror of the world on a spiritual level that's official that's what they actually are supposed to do is they're supposed to unite all of mankind into this roman thing and it's like okay that's an interpretation maybe you know it's an interesting connection but maybe it's not uh enough you know well then you get the idea of the second rider is red and it has a sword and it starts to conquer it can make other nations have war with each other if you if you read it it says that it it has the power to take away peace from among the nations i believe that's uh charlemagne the great you it's a couple hundred years later the church is the catholic church and the rome is in crisis the pope goes and makes a again a remarkable crazy deal with charlemagne the great which is to protect rome use his armies to go and conquer it set up this army for the church so now the church has its own army it's not the roman army like the roman empire it's now the church has its own army and charlemagne becomes the first holy roman emperor they they give him that name in order to flatter him basically into uh, protecting the church that kicks off the whole medieval period the 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 holy roman empire this time of very strong persecution the crusades the inquisition the sort of the iron fist of the catholic church sort of takes its shape and then it goes on to the black writer the third writer is the black writer i believe that's ignatius loyola and the establishment of the jesuits um you know if you know how much influence the jesuits have had they're not part of pop culture but they are very significant in history um they are basically these a secret society within the catholic church they have their own pope um they are a military they're enforcers
0: order. yeah they're enforcers
1: they're it an really actual military order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Their, their leader is called the Jesuit general, and everyone has to take oaths in the Jesuits to um, be willing to die for them and stuff like that. And they went around, they led the, the counter-Reformation to try to torture and destroy the Reformation and stop that from, from succeeding. And they were also scientists. People don't know this. They are some of the greatest scientists in the world, are Jesuits. And I believe everyone thinks the black rider, if you, you look up prophecy, they think it has to do with famine. There is nothing said about famine in that rider. Instead, what it says is that he has a pair of balances in his hand, which can mean many things. I, I think it means measurement, which is a very scientific process. That's where you get the scientific revolution in the 1500s. I believe Ignatius Loyola started the Jesuits in 1540, something like that, right? At the same time... that protestant reformation is kicking off and i explain their connection to los Alumbrados, the, the the predecessor of the illuminati um it was these uh, conversos these jews that were forced to become catholics they basically didn't identify with judaism or with catholicism but they were very interested in sort of merging these ideas um, that was part of what los alumbrados was about ironically you know you can actually you can find los alumbrados discussed in inf- official catholic encyclopedias and ignatius loyola was called in for questioning for being one of them uh, they actually the inquisition asked ignatius loyola about his uh, connection to los alumbrados and again Al- alumbrados just means illuminated so it is just the predecessor of the Illuminati. And what so was the
0: guy? There was another guy they burned at the stake for kind of those ideas. What was his name? Uh I can't remember, but there was a lot. Yeah. It was kind of like the Los Alombrados were considered kind of like the Gnostics or the Illuminates, right? Something yeah, they like had that, this
1: yeah. weird tendency for women to be in sort of these states of ecstasy and and like uh seem like they were possessed. They claimed they were possessed by the Holy Spirit, but it seemed like they were possessed by demons and they would follow ignatius loyola around and and you know um he couldn't basically get rid of them they were obsessed with him so uh Ign- ignatius loyola was actually brought into questioning in front of the pope or whatever and he had to i believe he made a deal to convert the los alumbrado secret society to work for the catholic church instead of being its enemy it would become its spy network it would become its next vanguard to stop protestantism because again it was at a crisis point each of these things has a crisis point constantine charlemagne ignatius loyola there's always a crisis and then a huge turning where a world power submits itself to the power of rome and to the power of the catholic church and then it gives it a new life and it's prepared then to go for the next couple hundred years and fight off any sort of reform and any sort of um, challenges i explain how the age of the black rider is basically uh, culminates with the banking system the uh, gnostic science sort of occult science secret societies um, everything that we're seeing now we're basically living at the finale of the black rider this um, everything you want to point to the mysticism, Kabbalah, sort of uh, Illuminati, Freemasonry, all these things uh, controlling the banking systems that control the world. I believe that's in the the Black Church. And the fourth one, sort of the most interesting one in some ways, because it keeps getting translated wrong as Pale Horse, Um, I make very clear that it is actually supposed to be the Green Horse. And You can look that up very easily. I I show the text. You can look it up on online resources very easily. The word, the Greek word that is used to describe the color of the horse is chloros in Greek, which is the same term they use to describe grass and trees and very green things. It's where chloroform comes from. And, you know, all these Greek, uh, all these words that scientific terms that involve green all have the term chloros in it. So it is the green horse, and I believe we are now entering the the era of the green rider, and that's why we're seeing earth worship, but also depopulation, because the power of the fourth rider, the green rider, is to kill 25% of the world. A quarter of the world gets killed by the green rider, And, and it uses everything. It uses the sword, it uses famine, it uses uh, the, the Greek word is thanatos, it just means death I assume that means a invisible death you couldn't really track, so that would be any kind of biological weapons, that would be radiation, that would be uh, poisoning, anything that would be sort of a, a subtle death uh, that you couldn't really see with your naked eye, and then Also the wild beasts of the earth, which is sort of maybe hinting at genetically modified creatures, or maybe it's a metaphor or something. Again, I don't pretend to know everything about this, but um, so this is what I'm thinking, is that we're getting into that point. The Green Rider, and of course, the Pope is a Jesuit currently, he's the first Jesuit Pope ever in history. He is obsessed with the Green Movement. He's trying to push it as hard as he can. He talks about how capitalism needs to end. We need to have uh, complete social and consciousness reform across the world. We need to all unite behind the climate movement. I made a TikTok video on my account. It was actually the last video I made before I got banned for no reason. I didn't break any rules, but uh, I I made a TikTok video showing the Pope doing a major conference around the COP26 uh, the climate event in Europe, he he gathered all the world religious leaders together in the Vatican from Muslims and, you know, uh, Daoists and Hindus and everything, everything he could get his hands on. And they all signed a pact, a spiritual pact to push the green agenda, which means depopulation. It means decarbonization deindustrialization pushing the world back into some sort of uh dark age is really what it is right. they, want, right. they want to recreate the dark ages like feudalism
0: like neo feudalism like a techno feudalism it's incredible
1: it is and it's done in the name of green it's done in the it's actually amazing how much everything that is rising to power and taking over society and these institutions that you thought were permanent would never change—banks and militaries and top-level governments—they're just being bulldozed by this green movement. And everybody has to start using this term "green." And like I was gonna—I I, I failed to talk uh, mention this—but Charlemagne and and that whole system gave rise to the cardinal system cardinals always wear red that is their specific color is red Jesuits are known as the black priests they are always wearing black robes they are famous for wearing black all the time and the Pope of the Jesuits is actually called the black Pope if you've ever heard someone talk about the black Pope it's oh he exists of... there's a
0: guy there's a named guy out there I his
1: name. oh yeah it's not a theory it's yeah. it's an actual position it's the Jesuit general um, I don't know who the current one is but there's, they always wear black. That is their specific color. So you have white.
0: Arturo Sosa is the guy since 2016. He holds that position, the Superior General.
1: Right. So. And so you have white, red, then black, and now green. And I don't know if we're going to see an official green outfit for uh, a new priesthood, a new order, or anything like that for the Catholic Church. But actually, they already have green robes for what they call ordinary days on catholic church so uh, this what not see what the point here is that not only just that that's a theory about how you could connect world events to the biblical prophecy but that god is the one that wants this to happen he wants satan's empire to expand he wants it to get to a culmination point it has to get bad before it gets good and that is part of prophecy it's not something to be Terrified about it's something that is just has to happen, and so um, from there you get into just the whole rest of Revelation. That's like a couple verses in chapter six, but it's like a thousand years of history. And then the the timeline starts to slow down and become much more precise after that. It start you could start to see actual specific events unfolding, and it really focuses back onto Israel and all these types of things. So um, that is sort of the, the starting point, the, the history leading up to today. And then from there, I look at the future. I tie in a bunch of other prophecies. I don't know, I'm very curious what you think of it.
0: I mean, there's a lot going in there. There's a lot to unpack in Revelation. There's, like you said, there's so many different themes and things going on. These writers, There's prehistory, like all Christians reference, the, the war in heaven now. So it's really hard to figure out a- there's the seven letters to the seven churches right so seven is re- is repeated over and over again and that's always right. mentioned right so then you have you have the seed of satan at pergamum i mean there's so much in book of revelation that uh, to talk about that that has sprinkled through kind of a christian practice all much more recently i think it, i don't know how i don't know if it was in the canon i don't think i don't know when it was put into the canon permanently but i thought it was kind of on the edge for some time maybe you would know that
1: um I, I don't think I've ever heard, heard that was Revelation okay. was out of the canon um okay. but I can see why some people would uh would question it challenge it it was uh, from what I understand accepted as part of the you know the rest of the same canon of course the bible itself as a collected group of books you know if that's what you mean uh, there there might have been different codexes and the Latins versus the Greek, the Orthodox and the, C- the Catholic both had their own codexes and stuff that they were including. The, the Apocrypha, for example, they include a bunch of stuff in the Bible that Protestants don't use, and so um, there it may have been you know questionable to some people, but I think the mainstream, for the mainstream point, it was always accepted. And there's just a question of what do you do with it. I mean, the Catholics obviously have their own take on it. Everyone has their own take on it, and I am even, Crowley, even that.
0: the occultists have the, their take on it.
1: Crowley borrowed all that
0: stuff off the literal Satanist, so yeah. it's almost like they want to fulfill that too. There's like human beings who, like, yeah, are not Christians doing this kind of stuff. But what's your kind of take? I mean, go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say, I think last time we actually had a quote from Barbara Marks Hubbard, and this supposed quote that she had about how they were going to fulfill the pale. Horrors they were going to depopulate the planet So we actually mentioned that even there it's, it's yeah they're definitely Interested in it
0: And what's your kind of take Jerusalem Pops up in this book I mean that you have the Jews return uh, When took to Jerusalem In what 67 was it uh, So What's what's your take on kind of this And I remember Paul if I remember correctly Paul mentions something about The second temple has to happen and Certain things have to happen
1: Right, so just the the quick background on the temple. Solomon creates the temple. It lasts for for however many hundreds of years, and then um, when Babylon comes by, they destroy the temple. That's when the Jews go into exile into Babylon. That's all in the Old Testament. And once they get released from Babylon, they actually create the second temple, but it's very shabby compared to the original. That keeps going until the Greeks take over, and that's when Hellenization is happening in, in Israel and stuff. The Greeks, with Alexander the Great, they take over, There's the Greeks eventually destroy or defile the second temple to the point where Herod, King Herod rebuilds it as this fortress that is sort of half temple, half fortress, so that it won't be destroyed again. That's what's there at the time of Jesus. So the second temple was the... Sort of this impressive Roman-style fortress at the time of Jesus. Jesus says you can tear down the temple; you don't need it anymore. That was extremely controversial. Um, his he would become the temple and, and everything. So the temple gets destroyed. The second temple gets destroyed in seventy A.D. by the Romans, and then it remains desolate for you know basically two thousand years, and then it still doesn't exist. There's no temple on the Temple Mount. Uh, The Muslims have their Dome of the Rock there. And so there's this very strong expectation now that any day now, uh, you know, Israel will basically reassert itself, take on the Muslims, destroy the Dome of the Rock, which would just trigger absolute, you know, hell on earth war, um, Armageddon type battle of Iran and all the Muslim countries. But um, then they would build their third temple. And so, yes, it is, it is definitely something that prophecy talks about there being another temple. And since it hasn't happened yet, how is that going to happen? Zionists are basically people who say, let's get the show on the road. Let's actually make it happen. Let's accelerate. Let's not try to avoid it. Let's embrace the fact that there's going to have to be a giant war and we're going to have to kill the Muslims. And I grew up hearing that kind of stuff very openly is like let's just turn the middle east into a big glass crater use the nukes if you have to we don't care let's just make sure that we can build the the third temple and and you know then jesus will come back because that's actually a prerequisite so they they like that idea and arguably that's that's the theory of what george bush and the neocons were trying to accomplish now i think there's more going on there and there's a lot of deception there but As far as Revelation goes, it is actually very clear that there's a huge tribulation. The Christians basically get wiped out, whether you think they get raptured or not. I make a a very strong argument that there's no rapture for Christians. You go to heaven the old-fashioned way by dying, and the rapture event happens with the group that becomes the focus of the book, and it's called the 144,000 Israelites, there's 12,000 from the 12 different tribes. That makes 144,000. And they're referenced basically throughout the majority of the book. It keeps going back to them. They have a special seal on their foreheads. They're not affected by the plagues and cataclysms that start to happen. And ultimately, Jesus comes back and visits them on the temple in the temple. And so Revelation shifts focus from the Christian church to this 144,000 Israelites, pretty hard, um, it, it's pretty clear, and then they become the remnant, what Isaiah calls the remnant, that God would basically wipe out Israel, punish them, curse them, but he would leave a remnant which was allowed to experience all of these fulfillments so that what I expect, and for just to bring it back to the real world, how this might play out, you know, you would have a world war, conflicts, uh, the nations, spe- specifically the sort of Catholic Orthodox type nations, going against uh, Israel. Israel, you know, basically needs a savior; they need a deliverer of some kind. The man of sin, the Antichrist, comes in to try to be that guy. Uh, they they give him a bunch of power, but the 144,000 are sort of this small, relatively small remnant within there that worships God properly and doesn't go along with it. And then um, this is while huge, earth-shattering cataclysms are happening, like volcanoes erupting and, and earthquakes and uh, the whole world system being disrupted and uh ultimately you know they the, the man of sin the antichrist tries to take on jesus um and it seems like he's going to succeed it seems that that's what the abomination of desolation is that daniel talks about is this messiah comes in and confronts this evil ruler who comes in and seems to lose. And so one of the most controversial part theories in the book, although I make a lot of explanation around, I can't do it justice here, but is the idea that it um it culminates with the abomination of desolation, which is this showdown between the antichrist and Jesus and it looks like Jesus loses. And that's what causes this sort of final satanic empire to Believe that they are above God and they can do anything they want. This is all stuff that will happen in, after I'm dead, um, if my theory is true. So I'm not uh, I'm not expecting to see it myself. But the, yeah, the tribulation. Oh, well, I guess you were asking about Israel, so I'll just leave it there.
0: Well, it just it's just kind of a complex uh, a series of events that come in, right? So then there's like the so-called there's like some huge war in the middle east right i don't know i don't remember if that's in revelation or not where is is uh armageddon is that in the revelation or is that uh,
1: Daniel? yes it is the the battle is there the, the thing is it's sort of half there and it's half in like daniel and so you have to sort of jump between those two to get the full story The reason why you won't seem that way when you're reading Revelation is because it talks about the whore of Babylon, and that's sort of the big mystery uh, that who is the whore of Babylon, because the whore of Babylon is the one that gets destroyed by this great judgment and the nations turn against it, and everyone wants to know what it is. I've seen so many documentaries saying that America is the whore of Babylon. It's a very common view that America is this nation that was supposed to be godly, but it became this whore that, you know, prostitutes itself with the kings of the earth and it it, it's the great evil of the world that's a very common evangelical point of view it's actually very hard to get them to consider anything else some people think that it's rome and that it's the catholic church i make the argument based on some very strong internal logic of revelation i can i can lay it out for you why that is actually the whore of babylon is israel and it is jerusalem specifically because, not current-day Israel, the Whore of Babylon is not an eternal archetype that's been around for 2,000 years. It's That is an end-time transformation that takes place because it's talked about as being the great city. Over and over again, the Whore of Babylon is talked about the great city. Well, in Revelation, it says... I'm actually going to pull up the verse right here. Yeah, please do. Um, Revelation says... when it's talking about the two witnesses, it's not verse, it's not chapter 16. It, it, the term actually comes up quite a bit. So um, if you look it up, you'll see.
0: Right. I think everybody always said the, the, the Babylon, Lady Babylon was always Rome because they tied the seven hills to the seven hills of Rome. Right. Isn't
1: that a... Right. Well, this is the thing the, the whore of Babylon sits on seven hills and rides the beast so you have the beast and you have the whore of babylon those are two separate things the beast exists way before the whore of babylon it has seven heads that are seven mountains i believe that's rome is the beast and it takes on these different forms throughout time the whore of babylon rides on it which is a way of describing a partnership an alliance it it is carried by the beast. So what you would expect to see, to translate that, if, if my theory is correct, is what you'd expect to see is that Israel teams up with Rome in its various forms. Right now, America is sort of an extension of the Roman Empire, but it would team up, and then there would be a clash between them eventually, where the, the beast basically decides, I've had enough of you, You've taken advantage of me. That's when it turns and the nations turn against the horror of Babylon to destroy it. And that's what it describes. So it's, people just confuse that completely and they think the horror of Babylon is the same as the beast. Um, Let's see here.
0: It's not not depicted, at least in the iconography or the kind of pictures of the book of Revelation. It's usually a lady riding some multi-headed beast, right? Right. With With the cup of... Abominations in her hand, right? I can remember that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So Revelation chapter eleven talks about the two witnesses. It says that they get killed by the beast. So they're prophesying. They go to the temple of God again. This is. It, it mentions the temple of God as if it exists. So we that needs to happen in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled. That's why. Zionism has so much momentum behind it um, in sort of this, you know, evangelical sphere. Evangelicals are by far the biggest supporters of Israel outside of Israel itself. And so these two witnesses come by. They are sending plagues on the earth. They are witnessing. We don't know exactly what they say, but they're obviously pissing off a lot of people. And then it says when they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war with them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. And then it says that city is symbolically called Sodom and Egypt. And then get this, it says where their Lord was crucified. That's in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 11. You can look it up yourself. So these two witnesses worship. Jesus, obviously, their Lord who was crucified, that city is identified with the great city. So the great city is where the Lord was crucified. And then later on, it will keep mentioning the great city. The great city is split into three parts by this gigantic earthquake that sort of opens the defenses up so that the armies can invade it and destroy it. Um, Later on, the Whore of Babylon is called the great city, symbolically, spiritually, this meaning from God's point of view, it is called Sodom and Egypt. That's how bad it is. Both Sodom and Egypt were completely destroyed by God's curses and plagues and and judged by him. And so there's this picture here of the two witnesses being in Jerusalem, which is where you would expect a prophet to be, Right, Jesus Jesus actually says that it's not lawful for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Outside Jerusalem, right? He says that
0: right at the end, yeah.
1: So you would expect that that is where these two witnesses would go, but it's called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. So you can't get away from that.
0: Jerusalem, yeah, you
1: can't get. It's a Jerusalem is considered extremely evil by Jesus, according to this. Now you could argue later on when this these events are actually happening at that time it's considered that evil maybe it's this whole time for two thousand years because guess what the jews largely rejected jesus and you know that's not a good thing considering he was supposed to be their messiah i don't know i don't speak for god but i do know that when it's didn't say
0: nice things and when he made it jerusalem he was generally uh he, he wanted the temple to be
1: destroyed and he wanted he said woe to you like when he was getting led by the cross, it's like they were crying for him. And he said, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves, because uh, what's going to happen to you is going to be much worse than what happens to me. So he was not pleased with that generation. And, and uh, you know, arguably the last 2000 years, the whole diaspora, yeah. this was a great punishment for them rejecting Jesus. And at least the ones in
0: Jerusalem, yeah, at least the right. people of Jerusalem.
1: And so this is how you connect. And I don't see how you get around it the city where the lord was crucified there's only one city like that and so right. you can't it's say that rome. Yeah, that's rome certainly direct. not america
0: yeah
1: and um that's- and so once you understand that then you can look at this fascinating story of the horror of babylon and why god is so concerned about it you know why would he even care so much about this this horror of babylon if it's just some great pagan or gentile city that gets destroyed But if it's Jerusalem, and then therefore Jerusalem serves the a dual purpose as Zion and Babylon. It has a dual identity. It's where God put his name. It is the promised city that he will eventually set up as being the great center of the new Jerusalem,
0: right? Yeah. So there will be a new one come from heaven. So I think your point, I think you make sense that the old symbolic Jerusalem is not, is optimal.
1: Yeah, and I think it culminates all the the seven sealed book of prophecy that culminates in these trumpets and then the trumpets are sort of this giant like a trumpet would be. This is another thing nobody has ever talked about before. Why are they, Why is it seals? Why are they trumpets? Why are they bowls full of wrath? They just ignore the symbolism. And I'm a big metaphor guy. When I read something, if you introduce a metaphor, I'm going to start thinking about it metaphorically. Why did you choose that metaphor? Why seals? A seal is meant to keep something secret. It's meant to lock something away so that no one understands what it is until after it happens. You break the seal. That's an irreversible event. You, you know you can't put a seal back together once you break it. That's the whole point of it. And it's a, an act of secrecy. So it actually makes sense that the first seals would be a big mystery to us. The trumpets are not supposed to be like that. The trumpets are very loud. It's a warning... It's tied in with the ancient logic of war and the coming of something very huge and dangerous. And so after the Christian church is killed in the, in the tribulation, which I believe happens during the age of the Green Rider, our current age, this, that's why I keep talking about the Green World Order. It's not just the New World Order. It's this green takeover of the New World Order, which wants sees humans as being a disease that needs to be eliminated. And they want their neo-feudalist Age of Aquarius Um, awakening to happen and so they christians are standing in the way of that all happening i believe that happens Uh, we don't get a rapture which by the way is actually discussed in the bible it's one of the most interesting passages you have in in revelation chapter six i love explaining this to people Um, the fifth seal so you have the four riders of the first four seals The fifth seal, the first seal that happens after that, it says that there's an altar in heaven where there's the souls of all of these martyrs and they're crying out saying, hey God, why aren't you judging the world? Why aren't you saving us? Why aren't you killing us? That's actually in the Bible in verses 10 and 11 of Revelation chapter 6. You know, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on the earth? And it says that they are given white robes and they're told to wait until the rest of their brothers and sisters are killed, like they were. So the rapture believers are going to go to heaven. It's good news for them. Good, good job. You get to go to heaven, but they're going to be crying out and confused. They're going to say, Why aren't you avenging us? And it actually predicts it in the Bible itself that they are going to be told to wait until their brothers and sisters are killed like they were. And so I don't, I don't blame people for believing in the rapture. I, I get that it's a complex, that's another complex thing. You have to jump to five different books of the Bible to piece together all the references to it. Um, but. This you know, is a kind
0: of pop Christianity. It's a very convenient way to get through the difficult things. Like it's a panacea, like it's a psychological panacea. To especially, say
1: especially process. the pre-tribulation rapture. It's. The pre-tribulation rapture means you don't even you don't even get a taste of the suffering. Even though Jesus keeps saying that you're blessed if they curse you, there you get blessings in heaven if they uh persecute you and that the world will hate you the way they hated Jesus. You're supposed to take up your cross. That's another thing we're clearly told. We're told that those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for the sake of God's word will keep it. There's all this stuff about being blessed if you Do actually suffer for the gospel, and instead of believing any of that or trusting that, they just say, "Well, God loves us, so He'll never let anything bad happen to us." I have this book here; it's my favorite book besides the Bible. It's a huge, thick book called "The Martyrs' Mirror." This is a thousand six hundred years of martyrs who were killed, tortured, burned alive, disemboweled, kept in dungeons suffering way worse than anything you've ever heard in in hollywood movies they were were killed for the gospel they didn't get a rapture but we think we will because we're so special you know we get the the free ticket where we don't have to suffer anything like this is we're so ignorant about the history of the christian church and what has already happened and then you just have this idea of the the big save at the end where we don't actually have to suffer. Um, I'm sorry. I don't think that's true. Obviously, this is just my theory. I could be wrong. But I make a very strong case for it in in my book. And I really appreciate you letting me talk about it. Yeah, too. you make a
0: case for a lot of stuff in this book. It's, we have barely covered, you know, the first three chapters. or I something. there's a lot of information in here. Uh, unfortunately, I got to run. Maybe we could do a part two. But where can people find this book, Terry?
1: Uh, Thankfully, it is in a lot of places. The sort of the number one place is obviously Amazon. There's a paperback. There's a Kindle version if you want that. It's on Barnes & Noble if you don't want to support Amazon. I understand a lot of people don't want to support Amazon already. Um, So Barnes & Noble is pretty good. There's digital copies elsewhere. And if you want to listen to the audiobook for completely free, I have a podcast called the Not Done Yet Podcast, and I, I read it myself. So it's completely available for free online. If you don't want to buy it, you want to listen to it. I don't know how many uh, you know episodes it is, but you go there, you can listen to it, and then decide if you want to support me and buy it or you think I'm full of it. I would love emails on this, I would love pushback on it. So far, everybody who reads it loves it and ends up saying this is maybe it's not perfect, but it's better than anything I've ever seen on Revelation so far. So that's why it has so many five star reviews on Amazon. I thought it would get one star reviews across the board, and I would have to defend it against everyone. But everyone who reads it actually thinks it's the best analysis they've ever seen. So um, decide your for yourself, web- listen to it.
0: And yeah, people can see you at wolfpox.com, right? And the podcast is not done yet podcast i'll put a link to both of those in the show notes so people can check it out but terry thanks so much for your time again the book title is maybe everyone is wrong revelations conspiracy and the kingdom of heaven thanks so much for your time
1: it means a lot to me thank you very much
0: Cheers.